This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Stevens, the New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of Kick-Ass International Thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. So Taylor, we have been chatting for 58 minutes now, and we just <laughs> turned on the recorder, <laughs> and I said, well, what are we going to have for chit-chat, as though we hadn't just had a 58-minute chit-chat and you said, could you repeat, do you think you could say exactly what you said again? Because that was like, that's either the title of a really crazy movie or a bad book or something. I said, well, I had to learn how to change a lawnmower tire that went off its rim and uh, sacrificed my thumb in the process. <laughs> so that's our chit-chat for today. And then we're going to talk about... Publishing contracts. We're gonna we're gonna dive into publishing contracts and what happens w- with dates in publishing contracts. So I think that'll be interesting for people. But before we do, I mean, we've got to hear this whole story about uh, learning to change the tire on a lawnmower. Uh, yeah. Okay, so it takes a little bit of explanation. Um, and you're gonna have to use your imagination. But okay, riding lawnmower, right? So the tires that go on these riding lawnmowers, they are tubeless. And um, we had just changed, put a new tire on, and so I, I started it up um, without – like it had sat for a while after the brand-new tire went on. And I, I started it up without checking the tires that they were had good tire uh, air pressure in them, which was stupid. And I drove on it, and the tire was flat, and so it took the tire completely off the rim. So I had to get it back on, um, which and that's when I realized, crap, I don't have any jacks that can work for this. And, you know, I don't actually know how to do this because even if the tire, you know, is on in place, you can – air it up because I have an air compressor. You can air it up, but the air is going to go out of it as fast as it goes in because the tires, it's the air that keeps the the pressure of the air inside the tire that keeps the rubber flush against the rim, um, pushing out. So it's kind of like the rim has a little bit of a flange on it and the, and the, the tires expanded and it's pushing against that. And that keeps all the air inside. It's also why they lose air pretty frequently. So, um, how do you get air in a tire like that where, it doesn't. There's nothing pushing it against the rim, so it's just like you know, hole, hole on the inside. So I YouTubed, of course, and the the person explained, you know, um, here's how you know you have to basically make uh, compress it. So like you you tie a rope around it and tighten the rope, or you use a, a, a strap, a ratcheting strap. And I was like, okay, you know, I didn't even finish the video. It was like, I get it. I, I get what I'm supposed to do. So first, I had to get the the lawnmower in a place where I could you know, get the tire off the ground, which meant I I drove it up onto um, the apron of like a garage apron where the 
the tire hung over the edge of the concrete. And then using leverage and whatever, I bricked it up piece by piece using like old garden stones and old bricks and whatever. And I got it so where the tire was not touching the ground anymore. Yay me, super proud of myself. Then I realized that all the ratcheting strap, the good ratcheting straps were um, not available. And so I found a broken one. And I, I, I found a way to tie it together where it was exactly the right size. I slip that on and try and ratchet it down. But as I was ratcheting it down, it would push onto the tire and make it where it was lumpy. And, and so it didn't have a, a, a round seal. So eventually, trial and error, I figured out exactly the right amount of tension I need to put on that ratcheting thing so that it didn't press too much on the tire. It pressed just enough and tire filled up. When that tire filled up, it filled up so fast that I was like, crap, I had to pull it off really fast. And now the tension on that ratchet is is just like, I don't even know how much pressure on it. And I'm looking at it and I'm going, this is going to hurt. <laughs> no matter what I do, no matter how careful I am, this is going to hurt. Except I didn't put gloves on. That that was my mistake. I should have gotten big, thick, heavy gloves because what I, you have to do to release the tension in the in the in the ratchet so that the strap can loose is you basically pull uh, on spring spring loaded uh, levers or whatever. And so I was like, "All right, here goes." And I should have gotten gloves, and I didn't. And I pulled it, and that thing just went pow, and mm. it like sheared off part of my knuckle. <laughs> <laughs> Just the skin, no bone, but you know, yeah, it was, it was out. All right. Publishing contracts for those who have been listening to the show for a while. We know that you're a traditionally published author and traditionally published authors have contracts to produce books. And presumably those contracts have dates in them. And we have heard over the course of the last year that you missed some dates. So when you missed those dates, were those dates that were in the contract or were they just like suggestions? No, when you went, okay, here's the thing about contracts is like every publisher has their own contract, right? So there's no standard industry-wide contract and whatever. So that contract's going to have things like, you know, how long the book is supposed to be uh, in, in words, you know, uh, between so many and so many words. It's going to have, you know, also the details of how much they're going to pay you for a bazillion different possibility combinations of how the book could sell, sell locally, whatever. And it also has contract dates where it says you're going to deliver X by certain amount of day. And so what they're looking for um one of the uh, terms is called delivery and acceptance. So when they say, oh, we're going to give you $10,000 for, I have to work with round numbers. I don't really do math very well. Um, we're going to give you $10,000 for this, uh, for the rights to sell XYZ, because the contracts also stipulate which, which rights they're buying to your intellectual property. So when they give you the um, that we're going to give you ten thousand dollars for world rights, whatever. It doesn't come in one lump sum, and there are specific targets. So the first will be like on signing the contract, you'll get X Y Z. Which if you've already got most of the book written, like if it's your first book, that's awesome. If you don't have the book written because you're just doing it um, with the first 
three chapters or proposal, then it's like, great, <laughs> I signed. Now the hard work begins. So the second phase typically is what's called delivery and acceptance. And that doesn't mean you just get to deliver it to them. Um, and then they go, thank you. And they accept it and write you a check. It means the editorial process starts. And when they sign off on it, okay, this is good enough. Then the acceptance part kicks in and then you get your next check. And then there will be some more targets that come down the road. Sometimes it's like on printing, uh, or whatever. It just really depends. Different different publishers do it different ways on how they split that advance. All right, let me so, let me jump in here and ask a question. Yeah. Um, you said when they accept it, what are they accepting? Are they accepting it as final, or is this a the version that they're willing to put through the editing process? The, when they accept it, it's gone through the editing process, which is your editor has gone over it for story, for characters, for all the things that, you know, the book doctory type stuff, but then they're accepting it to put it into the production pipeline, which means it still needs to go through copy editing. It still needs to go through the production phases and all the other things that come with it. It just means that the writing quote unquote is done. Okay. So, um, they will have a, a, a hard date for when they expect that manuscript to be, uh, delivered and they know that there's going to be an editorial process. So sometimes like different and different, every publisher works differently of how much they figure it's going to take to go through that editorial process. And so they're factoring that in because every one of these books is scheduled from the time that they acquire it, it's scheduled for a specific sales period. So this is going to be in our spring collection 2021. And so based on that, they know how long their production time is. They know how long every, every aspect of it goes. So they'll say, we need it from you by this date. And that's your contractual obligation is you need to deliver it by that date. That's your deadline. And that's for it to go into the editorial process. So you're done with the writing as much as you can get it. You give it to your editor. Your editor takes their time to read over it, blah, 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 blah. And once they've gone through it with you back and forth for however many drafts it takes to get it to where you're both satisfied, then the acceptance, acceptance kicks in. But your date for delivering it to them, that is a hard, fast date. It has to be because their entire production schedule is dependent on that. Okay, so that brings us to this point where I, I have to ask the question, what happens when you miss your date? Aha. So it, the, when you first get started, you're like, this deadline to you seems like um, it's written in stone. Like, holy crap, you know, the world's going to end if I don't have this on their desk by X date. As you go along, you realize uh, it's a little hazy. They, it's like when somebody has already put so much time and effort into something, they're not going to kick you out the door when you didn't show up right on time because, you know, well, what's their alternative? Do they have something else to fill that slot? You know, they've already invested all this, you know, these resources into it. So it can be a, a little hazy and you find out there's a little wiggle room. Um Sometimes they might bake a little more wiggle room into it than others. You don't want to abuse that, obviously, because contractually, if you fail, if they don't like you and if they're trying to get rid of you, um, which does happen sometimes, if you fail to meet your contractual obligations, well, they can terminate the contract. 
and then it's done. And they'll be like, there will be stipulations in there like, what what happens if you fail to deliver? And you have to give the money back or you have to do this or whatever. You know, usually it's not very good for the author. Um, so that date has a little bit of wiggle room in it. And, but it's really up to the publisher if they want to keep working with you or not, if you failed to fulfill your end of the contract. It's a legal binding document. And by the law of contracts, if you don't fulfill one part of it, they're not obligated to fulfill the other. And, you know, all the other terms in there kick in. Now, if they do like you, then, of course, they're going to work with you and they'll fudge a little bit on the day. OK, you know, can you get it to me by this time? Or you can end up in the most stressful situation of all, which is what happened to me, where you just couldn't. You It took you six months past deadline for you to finally have that finished. And I don't know if we want to talk about that or not, but that's what happened to me. And so procedurally, what happens? Is there, is there some sort of process whereby the missing of the dates is memorialized and it's agreed that it's okay if you turn the book in later? Or do you just continue to work assuming that it's going to be okay? Well, that's really going to depend on, on the publisher and what kind of working relationship you have with your editor. Um, typically, you're going, to, you're going to be communicating in advance, uh, you know, what's going on. And, you know, typically your editor is going to be like, uh, hello, where's the manuscript? Um, in my case, there was radio silence for a while due to other things that were going on. And so I just kept writing and just kept waiting to see what was going to happen. Um, but if, if you didn't want to take that risk, I mean, of course I contacted my agent and I told her the agent has to know everything. The agent is, you do not hide things like that from your agent. You know, they're the ones who are running interference. And if you don't want to speak with your editor directly because you're not either not on good terms with them or you're scared of them, whatever the reason, your agent's the one who goes and does the dirty work. So, and the agent, you cannot blindside your agent like that. Uh, so agent knows. And in my case, it was just like, I'm just going to keep writing until we hear anything. And I kept just thinking that I was going to be finished sooner than I was, that it wasn't like, okay, if I don't hear from them by whatever X, Y date, that's okay. But I didn't want to be like, Hey guys, do you still want this contract or do you want to kill it? I'm like, let them bring that up. You know, don't, don't rock that boat. So, uh, ideally there would be some kind of communication. And once you know, my editor realized this thing was not coming in on time. And and my agent did write her and say, hey, you know, this is going to be late. Um, and then they were like, well, can you get it done by this date? And I was like, uh, I'll try. Um, and I knew I couldn't. And I told my agent I couldn't. And she's like, uh, she'll try. <laughs> um, but, you know, it just, it, it was, there's always communication, you know. And I think that if the Although this has never happened to me, if the publisher wanted to terminate for some reason, they might not communicate with you beforehand. I mean, I've, I've been in situations where communication was very, very poor, um, and then you get broadsided with it. So I've seen that happen. But it would be a case where you'd probably just hear it formally in writing. It would go to your agent, and they would say, due to you know author so-and-so not fulfilling their contract, uh, we've decided to terminate the contract, and according to 
the legalities of what's written in it. Here's what we expect back. And it would all, it's all in writing, uh, even if it's just casual email. So is it your sense then that since your agent is communicating with them and they, they propose another date, that that technically or legally then moves the agreement forward by that amount of time? You know, I honestly don't know the answer to that question, seeing as how I'm not um, a lawyer. And I would have to go back and look at the exact wording of my contracts to see if that kind of wiggle room is in there. Um, There's a lot in publishing that is done on handshake. You know, Mm -hmm. for example, the deal memo, which comes out uh, before it takes months for the contracts to be finalized. So the deal memo is what gets put together and saying, this is what we're offering. These are the terms of the agreement, blah, blah, blah. And that, that will all show up in the contract when the contract is finalized. But that's the handshake. And it, it's almost never does it get rescinded. Like it would get rescinded if the author went and did something really stupid and went viral for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> and now the publisher is like, uh, we can't sell this book. And so then it would be like, uh, sorry. And so then you kind of crap out of luck. So I don't know where the new dates would, the agree, new agreed upon dates would fall in that. I think at any point, if they, depending on what's actually written in the contract, if they got fed up at any point along the way, they could just still say, nah, no dice and be done with it. I think once they've, uh, given you the delivery and acceptance check, that kind of, you know, that at that point, you know, they've proven that, right. you know, it wasn't a big deal. And so they don't really have the same grounds to stand on, but that's how I think it works. And like I said, I'm not a lawyer. And I think a lot of it is dependent on what's inside each individual contract. And it sounds like the value of the agent really comes into play in situations like this, where the the agent might have a relationship with the publisher and it might be able to smooth things over in a way that you as an author might not be able to because you're one client and the agent might represent 20 clients that the publisher is dealing with. Well, there's that. I'm I'm sure that has some play in it, but... um, I remember reading something way before I ever got published that has stuck with me and has proven true about the uh, agent, editor, author sort of triangle there, is that you as the author, you do have a direct relationship with your editor, and you can negotiate stuff directly with the editor if you want to. But that editor is also the one who's working with you on the words in your book. They're the ones that are fighting for you for within the publishing house for whatever goodies can be had for you. And it as, as an author, you want to have a really good working relationship with your editor. And if all of a sudden now you're having to fight with your editor about technical things and money things and contractual things, that can create an awkward working relationship when it comes to the trust that's required Mm. about working with the words. So shoving all of that over onto your agent lets the agent be the bad guy and the editor knows that, you know, that's just the way that it works. And you can still have that cheery, everything's good, we have a great working relationship together, no awkwardness uh, interaction with your editor. So it's more than just in these you know, really strenuous times that the agent comes in handy. It's for anything related to problems. Like if there's a problem with the cover or there's a problem with 
somebody failed to deliver on something, instead of you going and bitching, sorry, excuse me, to your editor about it, you send your agent to do that. And then it's, that's business, business is business. And you stay with the artistic side. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. And that, that does really show a lot of value um, for the agent. And I, I mean, you, you can see that in other areas, uh, other professional areas where people have agents. It's like the relationship between the talent and the person acquiring the talent always needs to be at one level and the nastiness of, hey, let's, you know, I, I need to get a little bit more money or I need more time or this or that or the other thing happens at a different level and doesn't impact the relationship between the talent and the acquirer. Yes. Neat. So I think that pretty much covers this topic. I want to get back to your thumb now. Was it your thumb? <laughs> yes, my thumb. <laughs> Is it okay? Um, it's healing. Uh, it started to get a little infected, even though I went and took care of it right away. So I've had to keep it swaddled in, you know, antibiotic ointment and stuff. But it's doing okay. Left thumb or right thumb? Right. Are you right-handed? Yes. Has for, a while, for a while, um, it was pretty painful. Like, you know, you use your thumb for so much, and I couldn't use it to grip anything. So I was having to use the... The, the web part of my thumb to like hold things and <laughs> uh-huh. it was yeah but it's, it's okay it's working now alright thank you guys for listening we will be back in your ear again next Tuesday see you guys next week <laughs>